Do you feel joy this morning? No? Two of you feel happiness? Two of you? Yeah, no, not at all. There's joy, man. There's a lot of joy. So, hey, we're doing, um, we're doing a series. Uh, first of the year, we, uh, I always try to do something on, on having a vision, right? And uh, it's important to have a vision. In case you don't know this, we serve, a, we serve a visionary God. God is a God of vision. Does anybody know that? The Bible says without vision, the people what? Perish. So what does that tell us? As followers of Christ and servants of the Lord, if we do not have vision in our lives, we are going to perish. We're not, and maybe that's not a physical death. That's not something that you're going to maybe die physically, but you're going to, your life is going to seem like it goes nowhere. Anybody know who Helen Keller is? Remember who Helen Keller is? She's blind and deaf and uh, ultimately mute because she's blind and deaf. She was educated and became a very powerful communicator. And uh, she's highly quotable. And one of the things she was quoted as saying is that there is something that's worse than being blind. Can you imagine that? And she says it's being able to see but having no vision. So worse than being blind is having the ability to have sight but not having a vision for your life. And so we're going to talk to you about vision. And uh, this is kind of like a lead-in to where we're going to go starting on the 14th. And we're going to do vision for relationship. Uh, then we're, we're going to do the vision for your faith, vision for your finances, and then ultimately getting a vision for your future. The Bible has a lot to say about vision. A lot to say. The Lord himself is a visioneer. With the joy that was set before him, Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. He, God foresees. He's a God who sees the end from the beginning. He's a visionary God. Book of Acts tells us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're going to have dreams and what? Visions. So we're a dreamer, we're a dreaming culture, a culture of dreamers, and we're a culture of visionaries. It's who we are, right? So we have to tap into who we are, and we have to begin to express who we are. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Caleb. In his date, you know what Caleb means? It means dog. It's literally what his name means. Caleb. And I think probably the reason why he's named dog is or Caleb, dog, not dog the bounty hunter, but dog. Um, is, uh, no, not that guy. The, he was very tenacious. You know, he didn't let go of things. He was very determined. And so even his name expressed his nature. And here's a guy in the Bible that shows us a little bit about goal setting and a little bit about the tenacity and the drive that it takes to achieve the things that God sets before us. So if you don't know who Caleb is, he's a guy when uh, the children, the Bible tells us the stories. It gives us the storylines. And in the Old Testament, there's what we call the big three. So if you want to know your Bible, uh, the big three are uh, Abraham, Moses, and David. So they're often talked about in, in, in all of the stories of the scripture have some interconnection to those three in some way. Uh, so also, uh, during the time of Abraham, the, his descendants became slaves in Egypt. And so the Lord brought them out of Egypt, which is called the Passover, and he did it through blood. The, through blood of a lamb. So it was by faith in the blood. They passed out of, out of their slavery and out of their bondage. By blood, they passed through water, and they went into relationship. And then ultimately, God wants to take them into promise. 
what this story tells us with the children of Israel is it's, a, it's not only something that literally happened, it's an instruction lesson for what God is doing in the new covenant under Christ. So we have what we know, we have the deliverance from our sin or slavery, so we're brought out of sin, we're brought into relationship, and then ultimately God wants to bring us into promise. This is, this is how the Lord has worked from the beginning, this is how he's working even now in the lives of the believer. And so oftentimes Christians get the fact, okay, Jesus is Savior, I'm saved from my sin, I'm going to heaven, I now have a relationship with him. So we get the fact that, we're, that Christ is forgiveness of sins, and then some, then an even, so that's probably the majority of Christians, then you have a lesser percentage that understand the dynamic of relationship. There's lots of people that are Christian, but don't understand the depth of relationship that the Father wants with you. They don't, they don't understand that God wants a deep relationship with you personally, intimacy. Everybody say intimacy, intimacy. is into me you see. You want to know what intimacy is? Into me you see. So when God wants intimacy with you he, wants you, he wants to give you an ability to see into his heart. And then he also wants the power to see into you. He wants access to you through the spirit. And so God brings us out of sin saves us from sin, then he brings us into relationship. And so what's happening is, is God's people are somewhere along the spectrum of this scale, right? God is calling us higher. And so we come to Christ and they're, well, I just believe Jesus and I'm just holding out till Jesus comes. Well, don't you understand that you're called into a depth of relationship? And then there's even the minority of Christians that actually get the fact that God has not just called you to relationship, he's called you to inherit promise, the people that get this are in the minority. Very few believers understand where God is actually calling us towards. He's calling us into a future, into a destiny. He's calling us into and through the promises. He has something for you. Say, Jesus has something for me. He does. He has great promises for your life. He has tremendous blessing that he's looking to pour into and through your life. We teach that God is a God of poverty. We teach that God is a distant and absent God. We teach that God is an angry God. None of those things are true. Read your Bible. You know, none of those things are true. There's issue, an issue oftentimes, I'll, I don't know why I'm going to say this. You guys want me to say it or you want me to keep yeah, going? Yeah. All right, I'll say it. All right. All right, preach it. Yeah, come on. Thank you, man. Sebastian? Martine. I thought it was something. Some exotic name. I knew there was something there. Oh, you, you right? Right, there we go. Um, you know, people look at the God of the Old Testament and they say, why is there such harshness and wrath and judgment in the Old Testament? Why did God do what he did in the Old Testament if you're trying to tell me God's a God of love? Well, first of all, his justice demands action. And before Christ came, there was no fullness of penalty that was paid for the, so God had to act in justice. Here's what happens, okay? I'm a sinner. I come, I sin. I sin in five ways, right? And maybe I remember the two that I sinned, and so I make an offering, because they had to make an offering for their sin, and they make an offering for the two sins that they made, but maybe I've got three sins over here that are sins of omission, which means I didn't even know I did them. What the devil would do, he's an accuser of the brethren, he accuses me before the Father and says, you must judge his sin. Well, he made an atonement. Yeah, well, he atoned only for two. There are three that are unatoned for. You must judge his sin. And God in his righteousness ultimately had to bring that judgment. Now when Christ came, he died once and for all for sin. You see? So now I am eternally under grace. 
It doesn't mean that I get permission to sin, but it means if I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father. And when the enemy accuses me before the Father, it says that Jesus is my advocate, my court-appointed attorney, and stands up, holds up the nails in his hands and says, uh, not guilty, you know, not guilty. Yeah, right, that's you. You're not guilty. In Christ, you're not guilty. God has always been and will ever be a God of love. What he wanted it was to put grace into humankind from the very beginning. But there was a period of time when there was no atonement for the sins of man. We were sinners. By right, we should have been killed, all of us and all of our ancestors, because we had separated ourselves from God and were due the judgment of our sin. But in Christ, the Bible says, he died once and for all, making the guilty blameless. You're blameless. Aren't you glad? In Christ. You say, I don't know what I did this morning, man. You don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. If you're faithful and just to for ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation on you. This is for somebody here this morning. You're not condemned. In Christ, there's no condemnation. You are, God will be angry with you no more. Read Isaiah 54. Well, that rhymes. God will be angry with you no more. Read Isaiah 54. There you go. Huh? <laughs> He'll be, it says, this is as the waters of Noah to me, as I swore the waters of Noah never to cover the earth, so I swear to you I will be angry with you no more, nor shall I ever remove my covenant of peace from you. He will never remove his covenant of peace from those who claim Christ as Lord. You say, but I sin. Your sin affects your destiny. It doesn't affect your eternity. That rhymes too. Man, I'm on a roll. Somebody write this down. Put this on an album. <laughs> Your sin does not affect your eternity. The sin as a Christian affects your destiny. It affects where God wants to take you. That's what it does. It miscalculates. You push yourself off the mark. And so you have to repent or come back to the Lord in order for him to recalibrate your life. But it never removes your status as a son or daughter. It never removes your status as one of part of his household. Does that make sense? This is, this is why it's called amazing grace. This is why it's called the glorious gospel. Paul says we proclaim the glorious gospel. Why? Because it's so glorious. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. God doesn't want to just leave you where you are. He wants to move you forward. He wants to take you into promises. And so God brings the children out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt. He brings them to a place of relationship. And he's trying to show them that I want relationship with you. So he shows them these phases. And then ultimately he says, I want you to take the land. I want you to have a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to have abundance. I want you to have success. I want you to have prosperity. That, that does not mean there was an absence of difficulty. That wasn't, but he said your, your life is to be marked by success and not failure. The majority of your life is a pattern of succeeding. The majority of your life is a pattern of blessing, not a pattern of failure. Jesus flips the script. That's what happens. And so now my life is ticking in this way, and it's not going down these roads. That's what God wanted. But what happened was is the people didn't believe. That's a problem. So what happened was God brings them right up to the promised land, and he wants to see, do the people have faith? Does anybody here have faith? Yeah. That's what he wants. Say it with me. Faith, faith. is the currency of heaven. That's right. All trade goes on in heaven through faith. You say heaven moves by human need. Heaven does not move by human need. 
God has dealt with human need through the cross. You're going to see it in the verse. I'm going to show it to you. He's already provided everything that is necessary for human need and human condition in Christ, accessed by faith. So we cry out, oh God, don't you see, don't you care? He's like, yeah, I see and I care, and it's accessed through Jesus. So demonstrate faith and cash the check. It's accessed by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews. This is the point. So when we're calling out to God based on human need, we're calling out to God based upon the wrong position. We have to call out to God and saying, I know you're a good God. I know you're a loving God. I know you're a merciful God. Therefore, Lord, meet my need. See the difference? Oh, God, don't you just see? I'm just so miserable and you don't care. And oh, you don't care. <laughs> Pity parties. Yeah, there's our favorite kind of parties, but anyway. So they, they bring the people in. Twelve spies go in. Two spies come back. Caleb and Joshua say, we can take the land. This land is amazing. There's gold. There's silver. Dude, look at the grapes we brought back, man. They brought back all kinds of produce and all kinds of artifacts from the land. And they're like, man, dude, just everybody just look at what's there. Look what God has for us. And ten of them came back and goes, man, we can't take the land. Those people over there, they got college degrees, man. I don't have a college degree. We can't take the land. Those people in there, they're bigger than us. They come from better families than us. We don't come from good families. We're a bunch of farmers. We were brickmakers six months ago, if you guys remember. We were slaves. You know, we can't take the land. And so they began to talk to the people into this. Oh, they're all driving nice cars and Mercedes. They got chariots. That's what the Bible says. We don't have anything. We don't even have a bicycle. How can we take the land? And the people went, you're right. We're so miserable. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can take the land because the Lord said we can take the land. It's not based on me. It's not based on you. It's not based on your background, your education, your ability. It's based on faith and believing God for what he said. And not just, well, I believe, but taking a step of action into the thing that God has said. And so what happens is the entire generation dies. Oh, what? God would never let me die without fulfilling my destiny. Oh, yes, he would. God would never let me die without fulfilling the promises he made to me. Oh, yes, he would. If you don't believe him and you don't take the steps of faith, God does not fulfill prophetic destiny by default. He fulfills his storyline, but your calling, your destiny, your purpose is only fulfilled when you step into it. We have an entire generation of people that died in the wilderness because they wouldn't believe what the Lord told them. They were too afraid, too cowardly. No, we might die. We might die if we go in there. We don't know. No, we're just going to wait here. If God wanted us to go in there, there wouldn't be any giants. The giants are there because the Lord wants you to go in there. That's the whole reason. So this is the point. So an entire generation passes away. Joshua and Caleb are standing there going, I can't believe this. So for 40 years, Caleb has to walk with these people as they walk around a mountain. This is what happens when you don't believe God. Your life goes in a circle. They walked around the same mountain for 40 years. And when they would call out to God, God would say, you don't believe me at the promises. Go around the mountain one more time. You will stop. Your life will literally stop until you begin to engage the very things that God is telling you to do. You're going to walk in a circle. Years and decades went by. The whole generation died. And the Lord had to train their children 
And so now they're children of the generation that died that wouldn't trust the Lord. Now the children are presenting themselves to God. So do you believe me? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I watched everybody die. You know, I watched, I, you know, whatever you say has got to be better than what we just lived through for 40 years, you know. And so they believed God and they went into the land. Joshua and Caleb didn't die. The Bible says that their clothes didn't even wear out. God preserves the faithful. Come on. And he brought them into the land, and now they've conquered the land, and now they're dividing up the land, and they're giving out inheritances, right? And Caleb, who trusted God and had a vision and had a prophetic word spoken over him 40 years ago and has been through nothing but hell and misery for the last 40 years, goes to the front of the line and said, it's time to divvy up what's mine. And the Lord didn't go, oh my gosh, how offensive are you? You're actually asking me to give you what I promised? Who do you think you are? You know what the Lord does when you tell him what's yours? He goes right on. I rise to perform my word. Here's a person who knows what's theirs. Here's a son and a daughter that understands their inheritance. One place in the Bible, I use this story all the time, one place in the Bible Jesus said daughter. And it was the, anybody know where it is? First service. Yeah, your first service. We're, we're issue of blood. That's right. Woman with the issue of blood. What was happening? Jesus was walking. He's got his prayer shawl on, right? He was observant, so he probably had his, his, his uh, prayer shawl on. The corners are called talits, and so the corners of his garment would hang out called talits. This woman was a woman who understood. There was a verse in Malachi that says the son, the, the, the son of righteousness comes with healing in his wings. So when the Jews would pray, they would wrap the talits around their fingers, and they would hold their hands out like this, raising up both hands when they would pray, and it would form like a wing. That was how they, that's how the Hebrews would pray. And so she sees Jesus, the son of righteousness, walking through, and she says to herself, I'm a daughter of Abraham. This is the son of righteousness. The Bible says that healing's in his wings. If I can but touch the hem of his garment, if I can but touch his wing, I'll be healed. That's why she didn't hit him on the head. That's why she didn't grab his foot. She understood what was hers. And Jesus looked at her, and he said, virtue's gone out of me. And he looks at her, and finally she's like, it was me. I did it. You know, he's like, who touched me? Peter's like, seriously, dude? The whole tribe is touching you. There's a thousand people here. Everybody's touching you, and you're asking who touched me? You know, and she said, but she touched him with a purpose. She touched him with an intention. She touched him with a knowledge of what was hers. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Why do you call her daughter? Because sons and daughters know what belongs to them. Servants don't know what belongs to them. Slaves don't know what belongs to them. Friends don't even know what belongs to them. Sons and daughters know what's theirs. It's true. And he called her daughter. He said, daughter, you understand what is yours. You understand what is yours by right and by covenant. And she had to press through the crowd to get it. She had to get down low. She had to make her way through the crowd. A woman with a physical ailment and a physical disease. So she probably wasn't very stout. She was probably very weak. But she said, that belongs to me. And he said, I could have it. And he touched her. Didn't ask him. Just said, that's mine. I'll take it. And Jesus said, well done. Well done. Understands what I, the generous God, am willing to give you. People think, oh, God's this way, God's that way. You need to read your Bible. He is a generous God. He's an abounding God. He's moved by faith. He's moved by faith. He has set up rights of inheritances. And he says, does anybody want to believe me for what I've said? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Will I find anybody believing me for anything? God wants you to believe him. Without faith, you cannot please him. Faith is the currency of heaven. 
Faith not in just the ordinary, but faith in the promises, faith in the things that he said. That's what happened with, with, with Caleb. And he says, 40 years ago, I was with Kadesh, and I went in to spy out the land, and I brought back the word that was in my heart. Well, what was in his heart? Faith was in his heart. Nevertheless, my brothers, the ones who went with me, made the people, of the, made the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord with, with faith. So Moses said to me on that day, Moses the prophet spoke a prophetic word over Caleb, and he says, the land where your foot has been, that will be your inheritance. Not just yours, but your children's forever, because you have full wholeheartedly followed the Lord, because you have expressed faith. And now behold, Caleb says, standing in the line going, oh, Joshua, over here, dude. Uh, now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. For 45 years I've waited the Lord, since the Lord spoke to me. I have wandered in a wilderness. He's making the point. I've waited 45 years. I've wandered in a wilderness. Give me what's mine. <laughs> Anybody feel like that? Huh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? It's mine. Give it to me. It's mine by right. And so the word, and so, so here I am, 85 years old, and I'm as strong this day as I was then, for going in for war, for coming out, and for going in. Now, therefore, give me the mountain. This, again, here's something that's interesting in the text. He never said he could have a mountain. Moses told him he could have land. But Caleb says, I don't want land, I want the mountain. You know what the Lord says? Give the mountain to the man of faith. Give the mountain to the man of faith. That's what he gives it to him. For you have heard how Anakim were in the lands and all these other things, and the Lord will be with me and I will drive out the enemy before me. In other words, what God has set in front of me and told me I could have, the Lord will be with me in order to occupy what he has given me. He's a God of faith and a God of wonders. He's a God who wants a people that walks in inheritances. He wants, a, he wants a people who believe him to change nations, who believe him to change cities, who want God to promote them, not so that they can be the rock star or they can hand out 8 by 10 glossies at the door, but they want the promotion so that they can have a greater influence for his name. If you ask the Lord for promotion so that you can influence people for his name, you are asking right down the line of the kingdom. If you say, Lord, I just want to be a rock star so that everybody worships and adores me, and I can get over my wounds from high school when nobody really liked me. That's really what I want. You're asking for the wrong reason. If you're asking for the influence so that you can use the influence to further the kingdom, you're asking for the right reasons. I want God to prosper me financially. Why? Deuteronomy says, the Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth. Do you know who that is? Every single person in this room that claims the name of Christ has a supernatural ability to generate and create wealth. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And it tells you that you don't even have the ability to create wealth. It tells you why. To establish his covenant in the land. And so uh, the Christian has the ability and the creative insight and the understanding to create wealth. But the point of that wealth is to establish the covenant in the land. You understand that? And there needs to be some believers that say, Lord, I don't know if anybody's asking you for this. But I want the supernatural ability to obtain wealth. And I will make that covenant with you. And I will give you 25% of all of the increase. I will wholeheartedly give it, and I will not hold it back. I meet people all the time. They start tithing. 10% belongs to the Lord. That's where the blessing comes. People say, oh, God wants my money. He wants my money. He doesn't want your money. He wants your blessing. That's what he wants. The blessing, 10 is the number of infinity. Did you know that? 10 is not only the number of infinity, it's the number of testing in the Bible. 10 is a number that you can multiply out into infinity, and it will be a whole number for infinity. It's the number of infinity. Ten is also the number of testing. Ten lepers, ten virgins, all tested. Tested for thanksgiving, testing for preparedness. 
10 is a number of testing. So that's why God says give 10%. He's testing you. According to your faith, so be it unto you. That's the whole point. Oh, he needs my money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your blessing. That's what he wants. I told a story last week. I had a guy one time came to me. He's like, I do, you know, I said, what are you looking for? He's like, man, my business is only doing $35,000 a year. He's like, I'm just really believing God that he's going to increase my business and all this other stuff. I told him, start tithing. Start giving 10%. He's looking at me. I said, just do it by faith. You ain't gonna, you're not going to tithe out of, out of, uh, out of uh, you're not going to tithe out of abundance. You're just not. When you tithe, you got to tithe. It's going to hurt because it's a sacrifice. And then God will increase you. And I watched this guy over the course of about 18 months. His business went from $35,000 to $750,000. Yeah, I'm telling you. And I sat with him, and I had lunch with him one day. And I'm, man, I'm, dude, I'm so glad God's blessing you. Here's some opportunities for you to give. Oh, the Lord told me not to give anymore. You think the Lord told him that? That's the greed of his own heart that's telling him not to do that. So, that's right. So the Lord brought you from here to here. He faithfully brought you here, but you don't have the fortitude or the character to honor him when he's brought you to that high position. That's what happens. That's why God will bless those. He is looking, I believe sincerely, that God is looking to bless his church. But in order to do it, and he's once, he needs people who will cut covenant with him and who will honor the things that he says and will give as he has told them to give. He will bless people with millions of dollars if they in turn will give the hundreds of thousands. Try it. It's easy to give 500 bucks when you're making five, you know, or 50 bucks when you're making 500 a week. But try making 10,000 a week and now you gotta give 1,000. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm going to give 200. No, you're tithe. You're no longer a tither. You're a tipper. I've known a lot of rich people. I've been around a lot of rich people. I'm not rich, but I've been around a lot of rich people. And I sit with a Christian who God is abundantly blessed. I knew another guy, multiple millionaire, four houses. You talk to him, you'd act like he's poor. He had houses up and down the coast of Florida. Anywhere you wanted to stay, he's got a house. Oh, yeah, you want to stay there for the weekend, all this other stuff. He had a garage, he had Jaguars and Mercedes in his garage, but he always drove like a beater when he was going around town. It's the HDMI. He drove a beater when he was going around town because he didn't want anybody to think he had money, right? And I remember sitting down with him and talking to him. And he sat down and he told me one time he wanted to give me advice on the church, what the church needed to do. He goes, Pastor, it's a millionaire. I gave $4,000 to the church last year, you know? And I just have a few things that I'd like to say. And I looked at him, and I told him, I said, well, you don't look like a man who lives on $40,000 a year. So, you know, you're talking to me about something, but you are in a position where you don't look like you make 40 grand, bro. So let's deal with your faithfulness on that, on that front. That's, an, that's the point. That's really the point, you know. So God will give it to you if he can get it through you. And when is he going? Well, when he gives me a million dollars, I'll give a hundred thousand. Well, what, what, do you, what do you got now? What's in your hand? You got a hundred bucks? Give ten. Oh, I can't do that. Really? Okay. Well, then you're never going to see the million. Faithful in little will be faithful with much. Faithful with little will be faithful with much. God will increase your faithfulness if he can get it through you. I know God is looking in a generation, and he is looking for it because there's an older generation that's passing away. He's looking for Christian business leaders and Christian prosperous people that, if he, that, that are willing to do what previous generations have done. The, the church in America today was built by very wealthy men who gave to churches that ended up giving, benefacting churches because God in turn has blessed them. 
and God in turn had blessed their business. You guys know Chick-fil-A? I could name you about 10 of them. Same thing. God gives 15% corporately and 15% personally to the gospel. That's why Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, but they're one of the most successful restaurants, fast food restaurants in America. Why? Because there's favor on that place. Anyway, I'm getting off that subject. This is for somebody, okay? This is this is this stuff. I'm not like this isn't even on my notes, but there's people here that this is being pulled for, and this is coming to someone in the room. So what happens here is the goals are the requirement of achievement. Jesus is a goal-seeking God. He's, he puts goals out in front of us. So goals are very important to the Lord. God has a definitive plan. God has a plan for the entire earth. The earth is not going to end because somebody decides to detonate a nuclear weapon. The earth is going to end when Jesus says the fullness of the time has come. It's not, it's not this earth and all of our times are not subject to people. It's subject to the Lord himself. So God has a master plan for what he's doing in the universe, but that master plan is adjustable. He has a master plan for your life. You're created for good works, which Christ made before the foundation of the earth. You have a destiny and a purpose. That destiny and a purpose is adjustable according to your faith. According to your faith. I had a guy one time, you dude used to party like a rock star, man, and uh, could preach the gospel like, like it was going out of style. Right? He'd preach the lights out. You give him a Bible, but he would party like a rock star. And, uh, I would, and, I, and he would do a lot of things. And I told him, I'm like, man, dude, this is, he's like, oh, no, God's going to fulfill my purpose. God's going to fulfill my purposes. No, he's not. No, he's not. I said, the gift set does not guarantee the fulfillment of the purpose. You have to believe God and operate according to what he says and will follow the courses, and God in time will exalt you. Next slide, please. So the elements of goal setting. The first thing that, that Gideon, that Caleb did, you guys got time. Yeah, you got anywhere to go? There's no football on today, right? So what's it? What's until next Sunday. We're going to preach till next Sunday. In my third hour. <laughs> so the elements of goal setting, according to the promises of God. So Caleb's goals were set according to the promises of God. His goals were in the direction of what God told him he could have. You've just opened up heaven. If your goals are what God told you you could have, then you are right in the pattern of destiny. What has God told us to have? He told us we could have a lot of things. A head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. That we would be a people of influence. That we would be a people of purpose. That we'd be a blessing to a generation. That we'd be a city on a hill. That we'd be the salt of the earth. That we would be the life bringers. He's told you you can have a lot. He doesn't hold back. It's just how do we get there? That's the point. Well, first got to believe that he said you could have it. That's the first step. You have to believe that it's God's will to prosper you. You have to believe that it's God's will to make you successful. And you say, well, that's obvious. You would be shocked at how many Christians don't believe that. You'd be shocked. I don't even argue with people anymore. I'm like, that's great. Well, I don't believe God's God. I don't believe that's God at all. I think that oh, you should just be grateful for whatever I get, you know? And I go, poor you, you know? But as for me, let it rain, Jesus. Let it rain. What's in your hand, Father? I want what's in your hand. I want what's in my Father's hand. I want what he said I could have. I want it. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want tomorrow to be different than today? Do you want future and hope and destiny? And I know it sounds like, oh, it's like all fairies and rainbows and like I'm painting a land of my little pony, but that's not the point. You're not going to not have difficulty. You will have difficulty, but you will go through the difficulty. You see? That's the difference. God never promised there would be an absence of difficulty. He said you will pass through the fire, but it won't burn you. He said you will pass through the water, but it won't overtake you. 
That's the point. He never said there wouldn't be difficulty, but he said you'll go through it. You won't be sunk and you won't be consumed by it. He tells his people, do not fear sudden disaster that overtakes people that don't know me. You know me. Don't be afraid if the market goes down. Don't be afraid. You're bound to the economy of heaven. You're not bound to the economy of this world. Heaven's not broke. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? There's no stock market crash in heaven. Not, you know, no, nothing, nothing. If God doesn't have it, he'll make it. That's who he is. So what did he do? He understood what Jesus said he could have. He claimed it. He aligned with it. And he walked in what Jesus said. What has he said you could have? Know your promises. What has he told you you could have? Beloved, I, beloved, I, I, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. There's a big theological problem with people. I don't know about that. Well, what does it say? You know when I looked up prosper and you know what it means? Anybody know? It means prosper. Beloved, the desire of heaven is that you prosper. That you're blessed in everything that you do, even as your soul prospers, and that you're in health, divine health. I mean, it's God's will that I be in divine health? According to the Bible, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> I had a guy one time, I said something, and he goes, um, comes up to me afterwards, and he goes, so are you trying to tell me that I shouldn't be living with my girlfriend? So is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm like, that's what the Bible says, Jose. You know, so anyway, and I'm <laughs> Every time I say that, I always remember that statement. But anyway, that's just what the Bible says. You can have health. You can have success. You can have well-being. This isn't Tony Robbins. This isn't magic. These are the principles of the kingdom. This isn't prosperity gospel. You know, people say, oh, well, what are you trying to say? We're all going to live on the water and drive Mercedes. Listen, success and wealth is relative to the person. It's actually relative to your faith. According to your faith, so be it unto you. It's relative. Some people's success is like, look, dude, I just want to, I just want to, I want to have my house provided for. I just want to have a good job. I just want to take care of my kids. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that's success to some people. You, you know what I'm saying? It's relative. It's not this blanket statement. But you have to understand that these principles are in the Bible. They're there. I'm not saying these principles aren't abused and aren't mistaught, but they are in the Scripture. The church goes into two extremes. We tell everybody, we're all going to be flying in Lear jets and driving uh, uh, Ferraris. That would be awesome. You know, we're all going to be doing that, you know, <laughs> like those rich kids. Or we're, going to, we're over here and we're like, oh, no, no, no. Jesus just wants us to be, eat ramen noodles, you know. And, uh, you know, where, where is God in all of this? He's in the middle. It's stewardship. According to your faithfulness, so be it unto you. According to your faith and your faithfulness, it will come to you. God has a plan and God has a purpose. There are people that money doesn't matter. That's okay. But what matters to them is compassion in the world. So prosperity and success to them would see that the, that the hungry don't go without food, that the naked are clothed and the broken are healed. That's success to them. Money is not the issue. That's not the issue. You know what I'm saying? So prosperity and success are relative to how we're made and what we desire. That's the point. Other people, they say, you know, my success to me is if I was to take a group of kids and really develop these kids and just see this amazing life come into these kids that never was there before, I would feel very successful and very prosperous. Well, of course. So you understand what I'm trying to say? Nobody? Yes? One of you? Two of you? Yes. This is what I'm trying to say. But what the Bible says is that you can have it. But it's not, it's not, it's not an issue of finances. It's not an issue of, of possessions. Everything that has been given to us is to the same end, and that is to glorify God in his kingdom. So Caleb said, this is what God said I could have. He actually asked for more. He asked for more than what God said he could have. You see the, the, the uh, 
uh, the disciples, they're asking to sit next to Jesus. Do you know what he did? He didn't correct them for asking. He didn't correct them. He just said, listen, that's not mine to give. But if you want promotion, you have to go through process. He said, can you drink of the cup? He never corrected them for asking them for more. The other disciples got mad. And you know why they got mad? Because they didn't ask. Like, oh, man, they asked to sit next to him in the kingdom? Oh, who do you think you are? And in the back of their mind, they're going, I should have asked that. I should have asked that. Peter goes, we left everything, Lord. I've given it all. What do we get? And Jesus said, a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. No man has given. Read your Bible is what it says. It's in Luke. No man has given. Nobody does business with God and breaks even. You just don't. You do not do business with God, and he will owe you nothing. God will not take anything or receive even anything from you without giving it back to you plus interest. That's what it is. You give God what he wants, he pays for it and gives you a tip. That's how it works. It's true. I'm telling you. These are principles that are true. Keys to the kingdom. Activation of faith. This is what it is. So the promises must be known. Promises must be pressed in for, and the promises must be contended for. Because your promises, God's going to set a promise in front of you. He's going to show you a vision. But promises show up. Destiny has calluses on his hands. Okay? We go, I'm waiting for Jesus to show up and show me something. You know what he does? He knocks at your door. You open the door, and he's got work clothes on. He goes, you ready to get to work? Oh, oh I didn't know there was going to be work involved here. You know? I thought somebody was just going to put a package outside my door. No, I'm going to go back and play PlayStation. I might take a nap in the afternoon. I got a pizza on the way, Jesus. Sorry, destiny can wait. It's true. Destiny requires work. Destiny has calluses on his hands, and he calls you to partner with him as he, as he performs what it is. And you're going to be resisted. There's going to be resistance. You're going to have resistance from the spirit. You're going to have resistance from your own emotions because you're going to think, who am I? Who am I? Oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, I mean, I don't know. What if I fail? I just look like an idiot if I fail. I don't even know if it's worth the effort. What if it's not worth the effort? You know, you have, a, you have opposition, spiritual opposition. Then you have emotional opposition. Then you have peer opposition. Who do you think you are? You're a brick mason. You're always going to be a brick mason. You're a brick mason just like us. You think you're going to be something, smarty pants? Who do you think you are? I think I'm who Jesus said I am. This is where you, that's your direction. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have disappointments, and you're going to have setbacks. Caleb had disappointments, and he had setbacks, but he persevered. So that's why you have to persevere. That's why you have to contend for the promises. Intentional determination, intentional mindset. Intentionally determined to go where God said. An intentional way of thinking. That's also the big problem. You have to retrain your mind to think these ways. Revealed promises are through his word. 1 Peter 1, 3. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right there. Jesus has already met human need. He says the same thing in Ephesians. He's provided everything in the heavenly places. He's already dealt with human need. Everything that is necessary for life and everything that is necessary to follow him. And it's through the knowledge of Christ. So all of the things have been provided for in the knowing of Jesus and in the following of Christ who called us to glory and virtue. And everybody say this. I'll say this. I'll tell you when to say it. By which we have been given, everybody say, exceedingly, exceedingly great, great and precious, precious promises. promises. And it's through these promises that we partake of the divine nature. We, through the promises of God, we draw from his world. We draw from his resources through the things that he said you could have. This is how it works. You understand this? It's what Jesus said you could have. 
He has placed resources and provisions that are available to those who will believe and understand what it is he said you could have. I'm just telling you what it says. And it says, when you understand and you are partakers of the divine nature, you escape the corruption in the world, which is selfish desire. So what's the point? The promises reframe your thinking, because it's not about selfish desire. There's a corruption that is in the world. The world is a system of thinking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The world is not a place. It's a system of thought. That's why Jesus says you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're not of that mindset. You don't think in these terms. The world tends to think in terms of selfish desire. Huh? You might look at your workplace. It's all about selfish desire. Your relationships with people are about what you can do for them. How can they step on you to get where they want to go? You know, that's the world. That's the mentality of the world is selfish desire. God says that my people think according to my promises. You're not concerned about that. You're concerned about what the Lord says you can have and the direction and the path of your life. You want to fulfill his destiny and not your own. That's a big point. Next slide, please. The promises are activated by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. So without faith, faith, it comes to those who have faith. We believe God. And it's not enough to say, Jesus, I believe you. It's when we say, God, I believe you're going to do this. If there is an instruction attached to the promise, what should we do? Obey the instruction, right? So if God says, here's the promise and here's this instruction, right? Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. So there's a promise with an instruction. The promise is, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things if you know not of. What's the action? That's God's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. He will only show you great and mighty things if you call on him. So you see the, well, God's just going to show me things, not if you don't call on him. That's what it says. Okay, so there are promises that are attached with action. Are you guys getting anything out of this? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, am I talking to myself here? No. So, the, so what it is, faith is the currency of heaven. There are revealed promises. There are promises that are in the Bible that are rights of inheritance. The woman with the issue of blood, she knew that God had promised as a right of her inheritance because of faith that he was a healer. Jonathan knew that God was a deliverer. This one comes through Revelation. So there are promises that are given to us as rights of inheritance. They're yours. Peace, joy, love. The, the, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a right of inheritance. He belongs to you. He doesn't belong to the world. The world cannot receive him. So one of the promises that God gives the believer is the Holy Spirit. Why? He is yours by right of inheritance. He comes not because you're a good person. He moves not because you did all the right things. He comes because we're, he, he is the right of inheritance. So you can be a complete sinner and just go and completely out of line with God's purposes. And you can go, Holy Spirit, come. And he comes. Why? Because he's your right of inheritance. He comes because he's a right of inheritance. So there are promises that are rights of inheritance, the Holy Spirit being one of them. There's promises that are decrees. Surely in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. That's a promise of decree. I will make you the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. That's a promise of decree. You will pass through the fires and you will not be burned. You will walk through the waters and they will not overtake you. That's a promise of decree. So there are promises that are rights of inheritance, there are promises that are rights of decree, and there are promises that come through revelation and insight. Jonathan is a guy, his father was a king, and his father ran the army. The army is surrounded by enemies, and so his dad and all of the army with him are freaking out. It's in 1 Samuel. 
And so Jonathan is the son, so he grabs a latte and goes off with his buddy and chills out under a tree for a while because everybody, he's just, all this fear stuff's just freaking him out. He's like, I don't want to be around that, man. Let's go. I'm going to, you know, let's go get us a, a frappuccino and go hang out over here. And so while Jonathan's hanging out drinking his frappuccino, he starts thinking about things. And he starts thinking, well, God promised, him, promised he's a deliverer. So it doesn't matter that if God saves by many or God saves by few. He promised he's a deliverer. And so Jonathan had a revelation into who God was and who he had promised to be. And so Jonathan stepped in to the promise of who God was and who he promised to be, and he went for a walk, and he ended up getting a great victory, and that victory actually turned the tide of the battle just two people. All he said was, listen, the Lord doesn't need an army. He just needs a man or a woman who's going to believe him. He just needs a man or a woman that says, Lord, I believe you're going to do this. Let's go for a walk. Let me stretch forth my hand and let me persist until this comes to pass. That's the point. And so promises are revealed. They are revealed through his word. There are rights of inheritances. There are promises of decree. And there are revelation promises. There's a prophetic promise over every single one of you. Every one of you in this room have a prophetic destiny. So we have, a general, we have general promises over the church itself. So all of us have corporate promises and corporate directions. We're to glorify Christ, build his church, do all these wonderful things in, in our Father's business. But each one of you have specific callings, specific destinies that are revealed through a prophetic word. What is that prophetic word? That prophetic word can come from a revelation of Christ. That prophetic word can come from a ministry where you're receiving a prophetic word. That prophetic word can come when you're reading. I had a pastor one time, he taught a vision series, maybe this is why vision means so much to me, and he said to me, he said to the church, believe, ask God what he wants to do with you. Ask God for a vision for your life. This is decades ago, and I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want to do with me, and what, what is it with my life? What do you want for my life? And he said, you'll lead my people, just like that. And that, that echoed, no matter where I was, no, I wasn't even close to where I'm at right now, and I mean, standing here teaching people, but I was, that word echoed in me. He gave me a prophetic promise. He said, you will teach my people. You will lead my people. That's what he said. This is what you'll do. And so all my life, I started hearing that, and I would prepare myself, and I would remember the Lord told me that. Some of you, you need God to tell you something. You need a word from God. You need a prophetic vision and destiny for your life. He gives it. He gives it. Say, well, what's up with the prophetic word? Okay, Jesus is a priest and a king. What's the other word, Hank? Starts with a P. He's a prophet. Yeah, there you go. I was just calling Hank out over there. So we serve a prophet. So our God is a prophet God. So do you not think his people prophesy? Our God is a priestly God. Do you not think his people worship? Our God is a kingly God. Do you not think his people rule? We are like our maker. It is enough for the servant to be like the master. Well, who's the master? He's a prophet. He's a priest and a king. So I'm prophetic. I'm a worshiper. And I'm a king. I rule. I have rights of reign and leadership and rule in the spirit. It's who we are. So there's specific and general purposes to the church. I'm going to skip over some of this because, uh, but, but I'll, I'll uh, yeah. What is the general purposes of the church? Number one is to know Jesus. This is on the whole world. The whole world is to know Christ. We're not, we're to know him. So Christian, you're to know him. You're to have intimacy with him. Into me, you see. We're to know his word and his ways. That's a big one. There's a big illiteracy of God's word among God's people. Just because you read the Bible doesn't mean you understand it or you have to understand it. He tells you to read it, whether you understand it or not. Understanding comes. Knowledge comes. God will add to you knowledge if you will apply yourself to read. I read the Bible when I first got saved. I didn't know what the heck. I was like, what is this, man? I had no clue. 
what I was reading. I didn't know who these people were, why they were doing that. And I was like, really? You know, there's a lot of stuff. And I was like, what? And there's all this crazy stuff in there. But yeah, <laughs> you're to read it. God will give you the knowledge. So we need to know his word and we need to know his ways. God is looking for a people who understand his ways. There is such ignorance in the culture, even if, especially among the church, that we do not know the ways of the Lord. We talk about Jesus and I'm kind of like, is this the same Jesus that's in the Bible? Because I don't think that's the one that I'm reading about. That sounds like fairy Jesus. That doesn't sound like the Jesus of the Bible. That sounds like uh, South Park Jesus. That doesn't sound like, you know, the Jesus of the Bible. It's like South Park Jesus doing judo. There's, anyway, that's another stuff. Make him known. So we're to know him in his word and his ways. We're to make him known. How do we make him known? With our words, which is the words that we speak, the way that we live, the testimonies that we give, the actions, how we demonstrate his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his love. With our deeds, intentional deeds of goodness in the world, building schools, building hospitals, feeding the poor, helping the neighbor. Those are the deeds. Those are testimonies of Christ. But also with demonstration. It's the demonstration of power. It's a kingdom of power. It's a demonstration of power. We can feed the poor. And that's not that's to say, well, the Kiwanis Club feeds the poor. You know, they, they, Camilla's house feeds the poor. Raise the dead. You got somebody's attention. Heal the sick. You got somebody's attention. We not only reveal Christ and demonstrate him with words and deeds, we demonstrate him. There's a guy, Todd White, I shared this in first service. And he comes up to a guy, he's witnessing at this guy at a rock concert, and he's telling him about Jesus. And the guy's like, I don't know Jesus. He's like, I'm an atheist. And Todd White goes, no way. He's like, so was I. He goes, but I had an encounter with God. Do you want an encounter with God? The guy's like, okay. And he goes, hold out your hands. And he starts just releasing the Holy Spirit on him. He's like, just right now. And the Holy Spirit starts coming on. He's like, what is that? He goes, that's the love of God coming on you. And he said, the guy's not a Christian. How can he receive the, how can he receive the, the presence of the Holy Spirit? Acts 2, he pours the Spirit out on all flesh. It doesn't say all believers. It says all flesh. Why? doesn't mean the guy's baptized. doesn't mean the guy's born again. But he's experiencing the love of God through a demonstration of power. That's why God pours it out on all flesh, so that people come to him through experience, not through words. Oh, I became a Christian because some people fed me and clothed me. Well, good for you. I became a Christian because somebody taught me the Bible. I came, to, I came to Christ in power. Boom. I mean, God went off in me like a bomb. You know, that's what shifts you. That's what changes you. It's a kingdom of power. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need to receive and understand the ministry of his love. That's what shifts us. So we make him known. Next slide, please. We walk in the spirit, right? Walk, I, I thought this message was going to take 20 minutes. I literally did. I did not believe that I had that little, little, little content. Everybody say, keep going. keep going. All right, if you need to leave, I understand. I, I know I'm going late, but I just want to get this across to you. Um, walk in the spirit, which is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We build the kingdom. We're responsible to build the kingdom through the church. We are account able, and we are response able to build the kingdom through the church. People say, I have Jesus. I don't need the church. You're misguided. You're deceived. I don't know who told you that, but the Bible doesn't tell you that. You're all called to commit and connect to be a part of a family. You're called to come under a household. Be sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, and come under the shepherding and the guidance of a spiritual ministry. The Bible says he does, his brings his, to him who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, to him be glory through the church. The glory of your life will always come through the church. You say, well, I don't like, well, go find a church that you like. Not a church that tickles you and you just go, woo, that felt good. Ooh, I felt like I was in a nightclub, man. Oons, oons, oons. That was so good. Find a church that challenges you, that brings you to a point of change, that calls you from who you are to who you need to be. Then you're in a church. 
The rest of it's entertainment. The rest of it's like, you know, or, or tickling. Woo. Nobody asks anything of me. I just feel good over here, you know, because nobody asks me anything. I just kind of come and go. Nobody challenges me. You're not under a gospel church. Sorry to tell you. God's called you to be a part of it, and we will account for that. We will account for how we built the church. And people say, oh, you're, wait, what'd you do to build my church? Oh, man, Jesus, you should have saw my house, man. I was rolling, bro. I had a stamp collection, a shell collection. I had vintage records. You should have seen my house. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. The house was great. But what'd you do to build my kingdom? Well, I don't remember doing anything to build my kingdom. But did you see the 22s on my Mercedes, man? You should have saw that. He's not interested in that. He doesn't have a problem with you having that, but he has a problem with you accomplishing the work of his kingdom through his church. Thing's gone. Battery's gone. It's all right. So what God is calling, I think my time is up. I think the Lord's like, okay, Kevin, you got it. You got it. It's good. It's good. If we don't power down the computer, he's not going to power down. <laughs> God wants you to walk in purpose God wants you to walk in destiny. God wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know what he's called you to be. And he wants you to call upon him for his purpose. He wants you to begin to believe that he has something great for you. That not only he has something great for you individually, but he's called you to be part of a family that is working towards a greater greatness. That's what it's working towards. Our goal is to bring what God wants. This church exists to bring what the Lord wants. I don't want what I want. I could care less what I want. I only want what I want if it means what Jesus wants. That's it. That's it. I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me. So we believe God for a vision. So you're called to be a part of something that is moving you in a direction that makes you a part of a greater whole. And you're also called to believe God for something on an individual level. You're called to do that. And you're challenged to do that. And if you will begin to do that, you want to be an exceptional Christian, there you are. Because very few Christians do that. Very few Christians even believe God for anything. They don't believe him because they don't believe he's a rewarder. That's what Hebrews says. You're not pleasing me because you don't believe me in faith and you don't believe I'm a rewarder. He's a rewarder. That's who he is. Amen. It's true. Believe him for something. What, and, and ask the Lord. What, you say, I don't know what to believe him. Then ask him to what you should believe him for. It's just ask him. Lord, well, I don't even know what to believe you for. What should I believe you for? Believe me for the restoration of your family. Believe me that I'm going to do a miracle in your family. Believe me for that. What should I believe you for? Believe me that I'm going to impact your neighbors. Believe me for four or five people in your life that I'm going to reach and they're going to come to know me. Begin to believe me for that. Believe me that I'm going to change you from the inside out. Believe you that I can make you into an entirely different person. Believe me for that. The issue is believing God. The issue is beginning to stir and access a life of faith and asking and finding the vision has anybody in this room ever felt that you're supposed to be ordinary? No one. There's not a human being on the planet that feels the need or the desire to be ordinary. We all have a desire to have a level of significance in some way. And that doesn't mean you're king or you're CEO, but that there's something that you do that's significant. There's something that you do that matters, whether it's raising children, having a good marriage, starting a business, blessing others, whatever it, whatever it is. God has a purpose and a vision for you. And I think the sum of what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that you would just take the time and create the margin, right? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your heart, right? What is your, what is your abilities? What are, what are your, what are your um, experiences? What are these things that, uh, that you have that God can begin to shape you with? 
He can begin to not just shape you, but he can, can begin to give you a vision for who you are. I do what I do. You know when I do what I do? I'll tell you why I do what I do. When I was in high school, this is no lie, and even when I was in school after that, I went to a construction college, learned to be a builder. People, you know what the people were some remarks to me were? You know what they were? I never talked. Can you believe that? I never talked. It was before I was a believer. And I come to Christ, and now all of a sudden I'm talking, and I keep talking about Jesus, and you can't get me to shut up if I start talking about Jesus. And I would be serving in churches, and they'd be like, man, dude, you need to teach, man. You're like, you just don't stop talking about Jesus. I mean, you're taking the trash out. You're talking about Jesus. You know, you're cleaning the floor. You're talking about Jesus. You know, it was just, I was just constantly talking about Jesus. And I had to realize, wow, God's given me something here, even in the form of a desire, right? And so what is it that he has given me, and what is it that he wants me to do with what he has given me? And he's given something special to all of you. You have something amazing, something special. It may not be talk, you know, there may be a behind the scenes, you may be an introvert and not an extrovert. You may be that, but there's something amazing about you. You have some amazing ability and some amazing desire and some amazing beauty that comes through your heart that you're probably repressing, and that's the very thing that God wants to develop and give you a vision for. So that's kind of what I want to challenge you to do. You know, some of you are far more generous than I am. You're far more compassionate than I am. You know, we were doing a little, we were doing the Friday night prayer, and people were praying, and, and I was telling them, like, how gifts of the Spirit are activated through compassion, right? If you have a lot of love and compassion, the gifts of the Spirit are going to flow through you very easily. You develop the confidence and the, and, the, and the knowledge of exercising them, and you'll see because the Spirit moves through love. And I was thinking to myself, well, does that mean you have compassion? And I'm like, no. I, I think there are people that are far more compassionate. than my, my wife tells me, please don't come to my deathbed if you're around. You know, because I, I tend to not be that compassionate. I'm the rub your dirt in it kind of guy. Oh, get up. You'll be fine. Get going. And so, but I think for me, like I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, my, the spirit moves in ways with me because I want it. So whether you have an ability or whether you have a desire, the spirit will call and move through what you are created to be in the heart that you have, but he'll also move through what you're hungry for. What are you hungry for? And so find the hunger. I'm giving you permission to mine your heart. I'm giving you permission to open up your life with hunger and begin to call out to God for something that you, you say, I don't know what, just listen, it's gonna be messy. It's gonna be messy. Gifts are always messy until you learn, right? The first time you sing, you sound like, you know, you're crowing. You know, first time I taught, you do not wanna hear the first message I ever taught. Right? You know, first time you do anything, your first time you ride a bike, you know, it's not, it's not good. But you keep going and you refine the gift set, and it's messy. And even the press into our own hearts is a messy experience, but we drive into our hearts in order for us to reveal and God to show us the future. All right? So I love you. That's why I talk so much. Jesus loves you. I normally don't go this long, but I want to bless you tonight. Tonight, yeah, it is tonight. I want to bless you this evening, so I want to bless you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an invitation. Uh, I want to make you aware, too, that if you're here for Discover Elevate, we do have food in the back, and um, uh, I want to invite you to come. If you want to know any more about the church uh, and, and ask me any questions, we're going to have a little reception in the back. So whether you're new or you've been here a while, um, you're welcome to come to that. And then if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, this is where it all begins.